All right, so if there's a theme for the lesson today, it's going to be on the benefit of meditating on good things, especially good things from the past. Um, Philippians 4, verse 8 is one of my favorite verses, and it says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So I'm going to give some examples today of people who made some pretty profound remarks in the past, but they were inspired by profound remarks that preceded them. And this is a crazy world right now, if you haven't noticed. And we are continually bombarded with new things that are distracting, upsetting, divisive, uh, pick your word, but there often is a lack of things to consider that are um, more helpful. And I've, I I've love this verse in Philippians because it says, whatever, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. I don't know what your whatever is. It may be working in your flower garden. It may be going to Biltmore at Christmas. It may be going to an art exhibit. It may be listening to your favorite music. It may be contemplating on scripture. I like that it's open-ended. It's whatever. Now, the other part of that is there are a lot of things that are competing with our attention that don't fit this list of true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, or excellent, right? So I think it's appropriate that we all kind of recalibrate our filters and make sure that we balance out what's coming into our brains um, in keeping with this particular list. And especially when things are crazy. So we're going to go back in history a little bit. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. The verse that Henry Wadsworth Longfellow must have had in mind when he wrote this, I'm thinking of Luke 2, 13 and 14, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Wasn't it good that he had that scripture in mind when he wrote this? Because this carol was written under horrible circumstances. This is right in the middle of the war between the states, the Civil War. Unbeknownst to him, Longfellow's youngest son had taken a train to Washington to enlist for the Union Army. He ultimately got permission to enlist. Um, he got sick at one point. 
He recovered, went back into action not long after the Battle of Gettysburg, and then later was wounded. Longsworth gets the message that his son is wounded and possibly paralyzed by this particular bullet, and on Christmas Day writes this, what became a hymn. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. He was actually listening to the bells chime in his town of the church and not feeling it. He was not feeling Christmas at that point. He goes on, and I thought how as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day, a voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then from each black, accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south, and with the sound, the carols dawned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It was if it It was as if an earthquake rent the hearthstones of a continent and made forlorn the households born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And then he remembered and closed with, then pilled the bells more loud and deep, God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. The truth of the scripture that ultimately there will be peace on earth rang through his own personal tragedy and what the country was going through as well. Christmas is um, an interesting time. My wanderings for this week brought me to a really interesting uh, preamble to a sermon by Charles Spurgeon who said it really cracked me up this is the season of the year when whether we wish it or not we are compelled to think of the birth of Christ I hold it to be one of the greatest absurdities under heaven to think that there is any religion in keeping Christmas Day there are no probabilities whatever that our Savior Jesus Christ was born on that day And the observance of it is purely of popish origin. Doubtless those who are Catholics have a right to hallow it, but I do not see how consistent Protestants can account for it in the least sacred. And of course he's right, right? I mean, uh, it wasn't winter when Jesus was born. In any event, he goes on. He said, on the other hand, however, I wish there were 10 or a dozen Christmas days in the year, for there is work enough in the world and a little more rest would not hurt laboring people. Everybody got the holiday for Christmas. Christmas Day is really a boon to us, particularly as it enables us to assemble around the family hearth and meet our friends once more. Still, although we do not fall exactly in the track of other people, I see no harm in thinking of the incarnation and birth of the Lord Jesus. The old Puritans made a parade of work on Christmas Day just to show that they protested against the observance of it. But we believe that they entered that protest so completely that we are willing as their descendants to take the good accidentally conferred by the day and leave the superstitions to the superstitious. That cracked me up, right? Um, 
So as you're thinking about all of the um, non-Christian things associated with this very Christian holiday, um, you are in uh, good company. In that sermon, which Spurgeon uh, delivered when he was 21 years old, um, in 1855, he actually reflected on the text of another song. He was discussing the fact that he could think of no one other than Jesus who had been born a king. He said, on earth, you're a prince, and then you become king. Jesus was never a prince. He just became king. And he was reflecting on that, and he quoted in this sermon a snippet of a song, Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king. Do you know what that's from? You will when I read it to you. Come thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us, let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever, now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. By thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. Born thy people to deliver, born a child, yet and yet a king. It was actually listening to this song on the radio to work earlier this week that started my meandering for what I was going to talk about today. When Charles Wesley wrote this, he was reflecting on another verse, as you, it happens. One that I must admit I don't run to all that often in the book of Haggai, chapter 2. And he came to this verse because he had been reflecting on his world, his community, and he saw that things weren't going well that there were many people who were underserved. There were children um, who were not being cared for, and things weren't as they should be. Um, so he was reflecting on this passage from Haggai. Now, I had, to, I had to look up, you know, now what was the point of Haggai's message and so forth, and and. I'll give you a, a snapshot of a snapshot. The earliest people who had been exiled from Israel, right? God had preached judgment on them. The Assyrians had come and, and had captured some of them. And then some of them were allowed to go back and start rebuilding uh, the temple that had been destroyed in the um, takeover, so to speak. And they were building this temple back, and it wasn't nearly as elaborate as Solomon's temple. 
and work wasn't going well. And the message was, um, this is still a worthwhile project. God's telling the people through Haggai, um, you know, I'm still here. I still have work for you to do. And I'm going to see that it's done in the long run. It says uh, in Haggai beginning with chapter 2 verse 4, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit still remains in your midst. Fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And this was the verse that Wesley was considering. And I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. And the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. So Charles, Charles Wesley was reflecting on this prophecy and the command from Jesus saying, or from God saying, I've got this. I've got the wherewithal. The, all the silver is mine. All the gold is mine. And I can make this place as good, if not better, than it ever was. And in this place, I will give peace. That's probably not something I would have connected with Christmas. But yet, Charles Wesley was reflecting on this when he said, Let us find our rest in thee. Hope of all the earth thou art. And so, in this season, when things are crazy, and we would hope to find some rest in God and to have some hope for all of the earth. The desire of every nation, he says. And he says the answer to this is born thy people to deliver born a child and yet a king. Not your typical Christmas verse, but that brought us to Wesley's poem which became a hymn that sat pretty much by the wayside for 111 years Wesley wrote that 111 years and it was semi popular it wasn't that big a deal it didn't make it in the Methodist hymn book at first until it finally hooked up with a decent tune and was starting to be popular, but it really didn't take off until Spurgeon quoted it in 1855. 
Now, what were, what was the, we'll say the U.S. listening to 111 years ago? Um, in Christian circles, um, probably the most prominent name was Fanny Crosby, who wrote, I found 8,000 poems and hymns, and apparently back in the day, the money went to the person that wrote the music. She wrote the lyrics and made a, between one and two dollars each. Pretty bad. Um, I don't, I had not read a lot about Fanny Crosby. Uh, I guess I missed a few WMU classes. Um, <laughs> the RAs, we probably didn't dwell on her, but I thought it was really interesting. Um, the last 20 years of her life, she was separated from her husband. Mutually, it seems, without any malice. Um, but I thought that was interesting that in spite of what might have not been a great marriage, she still found grace to continue to produce all these things. I thought that was interesting. That has nothing to do with Christmas, really, but um, I thought that was interesting. Um, 111 years ago, where there was a group um, traveling around the southeast United States called, uh, I think it was called the Vaughn Quartet or the Vaughn Singers. Anybody know that, that story? As the Vaughn people were getting older, they added a couple people to their quartet, people by the name of Stamps and Baxter who are the origins of the Southern Gospel Movement, Stamps Quartet, um, who a few decades later was still around and able to back up Elvis on a lot of his gospel songs. Um, but 111 years ago, there were a few things stirring around. I haven't been dwelling on things that were from 111 years ago, like Spurgeon did. I think one of the tragedies of so much information right now is that it's hard to have the good stuff percolate to the top. Is that fair? You know, I would think a few hundred years ago, the entire knowledge of the world could probably fit in a decent-sized library. So it wasn't that hard to have stuff percolate to the top, and now it's just, you know, we're so deluged with, you know, what Beyonce's last Instagram post was. Um, I may be one of the few million people who don't follow her, by the way. Nothing against her. She certainly sings. Um, so just pay attention to who you are reflecting on. Who are you thinking of? And um, think of this particular reason. The oldest reference about Jesus that I could find where someone was inspired by prophecy were actually by some skeptics. And I found this of all books in the book of John. So we'll close with John. Uh, in John 7... 
Uh, Jesus had said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. If whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now we're not too many chapters away from where we're going to learn a lot about the Holy Spirit as we go through John. Verse 40 of John 7, it says, When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Another said, This is the Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Because they knew where Jesus was from. Verse 42, they went on to say, Has not the scripture said that Christ comes from the offspring of David? And comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was. So here you have people in Jesus' day who were evaluating him based on scripture they knew from a few hundred years prior in Micah. We might as well go there. Micah uh, 3, maybe? You guys probably know this verse. It talks about Bethlehem. Verse 5. I mean, uh, chapter 5. Um, it's fine. Oh, yeah. Chapter 5, um, verse 2, it says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. As Micah was writing, and, um, you know, there was a, a near message, but like most prophecies, there was a far message as well. Uh, this had percolated through to Jesus' day. Even the run-in-the-mill Pharisees knew or believed that the Christ was going to come from Bethlehem, which has its own history, of course, um, as it was known for some of the things that happened, but it wasn't a very big place. The biggest thing was, it was it's like, um, you know, if you drive around between here and Waxhaw, you'll see signs that say, birthplace of Andrew Jackson, right? That's apparently what we're known for enough to have a sign. Bethlehem was like that. There wasn't much going on. Not that there's nothing much going on between here and Waxhaw. <laughs> but what made the Bible, at least, was this is David's hometown. Now, David was kind of a big deal, right? The greatest of all the kings. Yeah, you'd put that on your Welcome to Bethlehem sign, home of King David, right? Um, we've studied before, why was it home to King David? Because that's where Ruth landed, right? Who was, what, the grandmother or great-grandmother, I may forget, of David, right? Uh, the furthest, while we're on Bethlehem wandering around, um, 
the furthest uh, far back I could go on Bethlehem was Genesis 35. Uh, Rachel, um, Jacob's wife, Rachel, had Benjamin there and died in childbirth. In fact, Spurgeon mentions this in that sermon, which 21 years of age still amazes me. He says, Benjamin, uh, she wanted to call him Benoni. Rachel did as she was dying. It's a child of sorrow. But Jacob said, no, this is, I'm going to call him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. Um, Spurgeon sees even that as prophecy of another child from the right hand that would be born in Bethlehem. I thought that was a pretty cool connection. So, we're going to close um, with uh, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus.
right. Thanks, everybody. Have a good week. Merry Christmas. <laughs>